Hello, welcome to season three of the Pretty Deadly podcast. I'm Susie Colick, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self Defense, a self empowerment program through self defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I've used these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. The new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them too. We'll see. So if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 44, I think. I screwed up the numbering on these podcasts, and now I don't know where I am. So I'm just going to go with 44 and start from here. <clears throat> Welcome to episode 44 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm chatting with my friend and colleague, Rithika Punj, also known as Ritz. Ritz was born and raised in London, but is now based in Genova, Italy, where she runs a couple of English language schools with her two partners. She's also recently started leading workshops for something called Emotions Games. Emotions Games is a series of cards and questions designed to help grow emotional intelligence, which, I think, is something we could all use more of in this time of great change. In fact, I suspect it's a lack of emotional intelligence that got us into this pickle in the first place. The way I met Ritz is one of my favorite stories. I was on a solo holiday in Sicily, Italy. It was Christmas Eve, and my horoscope for that day said, you will meet someone today who will change your life. I thought, well, that's a challenge. I was in a tiny summer resort town called Sheffaloo. It was off-season, and there weren't a lot of tourists. It being Christmas Eve, all the locals were either at home or in church. Anyway, I wandered into probably the only restaurant open for dinner, and it was pretty empty. There was a small family at one table, a couple at another, and me. The restaurant was fantastic, by the way. Locally sourced food, lovingly prepared, excellent wines, fantastic soundtrack. But there were no other diners, so my horoscope was obviously bullshit. I enjoyed my meal anyway. Just as I was ordering dessert, in walks this petite woman. She's got dark hair, olive skin, strong features, glamorous and beautiful. She rattles a bunch of stuff off in Italian to the host, so I figured she's Italian. She looks around the restaurant, and out of all the tables in the place, she picks the one next to mine. She settles herself in, leans over, and asks, How's the wine? Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. One of the things that I've I've always been really curious about is what it feels like to be in other people's bodies. Mm. 
when you see people who are super tall, like what does it feel like to see the world from up there? Or when you see people who are super, super slim or super, super big, like what does it feel like to move through the world in these kinds of bodies? Because I only know my body. Um, and you are very petite. Yeah, very. And so, <laughs> and so I was wondering, what is it like to be you? What's it like to be in your body moving through the world as a, as a more petite woman? Um, you yeah. lived in big cities like London and you've traveled around. You've been in, were you in Rome also? Um, I didn't live in Rome. Um, I, I've lived in Bologna. Hello. So, yeah, it's cute. <laughs> but big cities and you travel and, and mm -hmm. you know, when I met you, you were, you were on a solo travel trip. I was. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what does that feel like? Do you feel, well, first let's talk about how tall are you? Yeah, well, I was going to say this. I actually am shorter than the average petite. I'm not even the average. So, you know, when you go into a store and they're like, hey, these guys are petite people. Um, I'm actually shorter than that. I'm uh, 145 centimeters. Okay. So I'm I'm less than five foot, and I think it's five foot three that you're kind of, you know, that's where the petite range starts. So um, I am really small, and I weigh around 47 kilograms, mm -hmm. and it's really really strange to be my height <laughs> because. Right. I mean, I, when I lived in London, I traveled on the tube and the trains often. And so, you, like, so was that gap bigger for you? Like <laughs> when you have to mind the gap, were you like, this is not just a gap, my friend. This is a yeah, canyon. Yeah, I was exactly. I was doing that kind of long jump. No, is it the long jump that you do? The triple yeah, jump? Yeah, you know, yeah. I was kind of trying to jump across. Um, but the worst, I have to say, and this is really horrible, was when you're trying to hold on and you don't have anything really to hold on to as comfortably as people do. Right, because um, all the straps and, and poles yeah, are too they're, high. Yeah, they're really high. And yeah. I would, I could maybe get a, like, a, a tip of my finger around something. Or if I had heels on, I'd be okay. But then you're wearing heels, you're a little bit unstable. Mm -hmm. So I'd try and put myself in a situation where I knew I could hold on to something easily. But the worst thing about it is actually... Um, your um, your face is at the level of some people's armpits or you know it, it's just it's so horrible it really is it's a it's an olfactory existence it's i don't i, I don't know if you've ever watched the brownies i think it's called the brownies no oh god i can't remember what it's called i think we can scrap that the borrowers the borrowers it was a little show where people there were tiny tiny people right right houses. yeah yeah yeah, I think it's called The Borrowers. I can't remember yeah, anymore. Yeah, they but were. Sometimes I feel like my life is like that. So when I'm sitting on a chair at work or in a restaurant, I automatically notice like, hey, I think I might need a high chair because it's not at the right level. Or um, when I'm trying to use my computer, I'm like, is the eye level okay? I don't, I, I just, there aren't, it, it's almost as if I need things specially made, but I obviously, you know, it's only a few inches, but it makes a difference. And um, the best thing about it on an aeroplane is I have so much room. I have right. so much room on an aeroplane. So even if I put my um, my suit, my little trolley or my bag under the chair, I still have space. So right. there are some ups to it. But um, I think uh, I think what's um, 
what's kind of propelled my personality in general and, and made me as um, outgoing and open as I am is the fact that I, I, I am so small. So you, you don't always get seen. And I have the fortune of also looking young. Like I've got, you know, uh, people who are like, oh, you're in your 20s? And I'm like, yeah, I wish. Like I so <laughs> wish I was still in my 20s. But I do look young also because of my height. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people instantly, you know, they have this, oh, like you're just a, just a girl. Like in Italy, like, oh, signorina. I'm like, I'm already a signora. Like seriously, I'm already right. a signora. So you, you, I think I've de- my personality really did develop just from being wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, and to just say, hey, you know, I'm here. Right. So it's a really important thing for me. Right. Do do you find that um, people are more protective towards you? That um, like if you go to a concert or or any place where there's really large let let's clarify pre-corona. Yeah. Um, but any place where there's a really large group of people, do your friends or your partner or the people around, or even just mm-hmm. strangers, do they tend to be more protective of you? When I was younger, definitely. I remember this, and I, I'll never forget this um, this classmate. His name was um, Alan Walsh. He was an Irish uh, kid. And... He was so protective of me. He he was the the, the kind of um, classmate that if they were playing football or doing something, he'd be like, hey, 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 hold on, you know, like, or Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. He'd make sure that I was okay. So he was really um, empathetic towards my needs in that thing. And I remember him mm-hmm. really, really clearly. But in general, no, I, I mean, I don't find that people are that aware of the um, maybe the need to for me to adapt uh, to my environment and how they can help me do that. So I remember mm-hmm. once I was on the tube with my sister. She's 18, so there's 18 years difference between us. She must have been about three or four years old and she fell asleep and I had to hold her. So I'm not a very tall person and mm-hmm. holding her whilst stood up on the tube not one person was like hey you know take my seat because I think had I been a little bit taller a little bit more in people's vision right. I may have got a seat a little bit quicker or um or you know all. there wouldn't have been yeah exactly right, <laughs> so right. At, at this point I just felt like you can't see me but I really and I I wasn't uh, I think I didn't have the confidence that time either to say hey can you give up your seat because right. now, I think if, if I was in that situation now, I'd say, hey, I need that seat because I'm holding a baby and the baby's sleeping or the child is sleeping. Right. But, yeah, so unfortunately, I don't get a lot of people, um, not a lot, not a lot of people that sort of feel like, oh, she needs protection. But I think that's also because they don't want to patronize the person. Well, that's nice. Yeah, definitely. So mm. I, I do appreciate that, that they don't sit there and think, oh, she's weak. I mean, but I get comments. Um, for example, during the whole um, coronavirus situation, the school had to be um, set up basically for online lessons instead of in-school lessons. Mm-hmm. So you saw me in school basically carrying these big TVs that we normally have around mm-hmm. moving things, furniture, sofas, and one of our um, one of the teachers turned around and said, 
like, I know you do CrossFit and you can, like, lift heavy things, but seeing you do it just because you're so small is really strange. <laughs> but didn't, weren't the bower, borrowers, like, weren't they extra strong? Didn't they have a superhuman strength? I can't remember that. I don't remember I really it either. Can't. No, I can't remember. I just remember they were so tiny, but the yeah. chairs were huge and everything. I really, that, that's something just stuck in my head. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah. Do, what have you done? I mean, what kind of things do you do when you move through the world to keep yourself safe? Do you think that you have, you have different concerns about safety as a woman and as a petite mm-hmm. woman um, as opposed to someone my height? So I'm, I think I'm, you know, the centimeter thing. I think I'm 165 centimeters. No, that sounds mm-hmm. tall. Let's just mm. say I am. You're at least 20 centimeters taller than me, definitely. Yeah, well, in in American measurement, I'm 5'5". Five five. So... Okay. Yeah. About. Yeah. But yeah, but I'm, okay. you know, I'm average sized. And of course, when I wear mm-hmm. heels, I'm just a little bit taller. But, um, you know, I have... I have one set of concerns. Do you have yeah. other sets or are there other things that you do that you find yourself like kind of naturally doing as an adaptive behavior when you leave the house? Like, That's really interesting. Um, I, I don't know because it's a really strange question to answer because I do think so naturally that yeah. now I'm thinking like, what do I do that's specific maybe to taking care of myself? Yeah, I um, maybe, for example, when I'm walking along the sea, I have the fortune of living by the sea. So when I go and I walk along it, yeah, definitely placing myself on the on the promenade in the middle, usually so I know that I'm seen rather uh-huh. than on the sides. Because, yeah, on the sides, there are like some bushes in some places or there's, you know, there is a like a cafe with the tables. and I like just to be in the middle to try uh-huh. and... Uh, make sure that I'm in full view and that I don't get run over by a person on the scooter or you know, somebody right, right. who's walking along. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that's one of the things I can point out that I definitely do, um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that I, I am seen and I can see everything as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, leaving the house, um, I think I face the same fears or the same security issues as most women sort of looking around um Mm -hmm. i live in an apartment where everybody's family there's 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 it's not like it's um you close the door and you're right onto the onto the road Mm -hmm. but i still have this um natural um instinctiveness to like close the door and when i'm locking it i'm just looking around up and down to see if there's anybody around right and I know that when my husband closes a door, he has none of those concerns. Right. Closes the door and leaves. <laughs> right. So that is really something that kind of, it's highlighted more and more also because we got broken into two years ago. And I know that they were watching me because mm. um, I was the only one that was really coming and going often. Whereas my husband would leave in the morning and come back in the evening. Mm-hmm. And that freaked me out a lot. That really made me think, oh my God, like, they watch you. And yeah, that's weird, huh? Yeah. yeah. But God, they they just watch your behavior. So more and more now I, I kind of have that, okay, I'm going to just lock the door and then see what's happening around me. Again, right. you can't 
change anything because if it happens, it happens, but at least you feel okay in that moment. I'm doing what I need to do to feel safe. Right. Did you, when you were a girl, did you ever use your size to your advantage in the sense of like, um, hiding under stuff or wiggling into places other people like I like your I know you have a brother mm. um, and if your relationship was anything like my relationship with my brothers there were certainly times when it was quite combative mm. um, yeah I, I think did you last... ever use that your own size to get away from him and or, or to your advantage in those situations yeah I think the fact that I'm really small also has made me like agile and quite fast mm-hmm. so um running I used to be very fast at running um being able to dodge and move out the way right. and things also and um, my brother and I had a very very sort of wrestlemania type of relationship when we were young <laughs> um so I also grew up knowing my strengths and being able to I think he helped me really bring out my strength and sort of make me strong physically because I had to fight a guy who was two years older than me. Right. That's interesting because we, we, in pretty deadly courses, we talk about how size actually our smaller sizes, women can be to our advantage because people who are very small and can move quickly, like you're describing are mm-hmm. hard to grab and hold on to. Yeah. But also we talk about how, um, Girls don't generally grow up fighting. You know, boys mm. grow up play fighting. My, I watched my three brothers, not my, the older one, not so much, but the two younger brothers, they play fought a lot. Mm. They were big fans of um, the Three Stooges. Mm. So they, so they, they, they uh, recreated a lot of those movements all the time. Yeah. Which are, you know, it's their pratfalls and they're supposed to be funny, et cetera, but they also do carry a measure of violence. And these, in some ways, are also training. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, girls usually don't grow up doing that kind of stuff. So it's interesting yeah. that you're, you're pointing out that your brother actually, through having to defend yourself from him, helped teach you what your strength actually is and what your advantages are. Yeah, Which definitely. I think a lot of women never get the chance to do. Well, a lot of girls don't no, we don't. I mean, do. I look at my cousins and we used to say, so I grew up with my cousins as my friends. I didn't realize until I was older that I didn't actually have friends, that these people were my family and they were my cousins. So we used to play, I think there must have been about, I don't know, up to 10 of us on a double bed in, in one of the bedrooms in one of our houses, just playing Royal Rumble. So you tag each other in like, yeah, you're in now or, you know, you know, just, mm-hmm. So can you imagine the chaos? It was really chaotic. But I was the one, because I grew up with my older brother constantly, um, us just play fights turning into real fights. Mm -hmm. I was the one that I think everybody was like, yeah, 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 you know, she's she's kind of the the one to tag in because I I don't need. Um, But if you look at my other cousins, yeah, unfortunately, they haven't had, fortunately and unfortunately, to say that, you know, they weren't um, in a fight every day with their sibling, but now sort of looking at them as women, I think, hey, um, maybe just a little bit of awareness of, of what men do and how, how they, they play fight or fight or, or get aggressive mm-hmm. is actually really, really important. Um, right. 
Right. Yeah, I, I I notice that, and I see that then they're not as they're they're more um, um, wary, maybe, in these kind of situations. Yeah. Twice. Well, I think also, I mean, I know from from my own training in martial arts, and I think you probably discovered this as well with your brother and, and in CrossFit too. Um, so often women when they enter a self-defense class or a martial arts class the one of the biggest obstacles is being hit mm. and experiencing pain like that's going to hurt me and it, well yeah I mean that's the point of course it's going to hurt but <laughs> yeah the, I mean, that's the point for the other person doing it basically but um understanding that you can take it understanding yeah. that you don't want to walk into somebody's fist you don't want to be like oh great no, you're about to punch me I'm going to go run over to you <laughs> But you, but to understand that that's not necessarily going to keep you down, that you can survive it. You know, it's like you can survive a little scratch, you know, if you're walking through a field and you get scratched by a thorn, that's not going to stop you from walking through the field. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's obviously gendered violence is a lot different than a thorn scratch in a field or a thistle scratch. But at the same time, understanding that, you know what, it's not. Like one little thing isn't going to break me. I can still keep going. Yeah, and definitely. I think that's an important thing. And maybe that's something that your your female cousins didn't have the advantage of learning. Yeah, and I I was really um, I think I was really exposed to this with my brother. And I remember asking my mom. I think I must have been eleven years old. Yeah. Mum, can I do self-defense? They're doing it at the swimming baths that, that down the road. I'd really like to take this class. And my mum responded, no, because you'll get bruises. And now if you look at right. my legs from the, the week of CrossFit, I've got bruises all over my Right, leg. right, right. But um, for me, for me, it was it was almost like, oh, no, an, an important thing that I felt like I really needed. I, I need to, to do this because if I want to be independent and go out in the world in my 11-year-old head, but yeah. I need to be able to defend myself. Yeah. Whereas my cousins would never, I think, have come up with that at that age or, you know, the, the teens. It, for them, it was, it was, it's a sad thing, I think, that women aren't brought up to, to defend themselves when it's so necessary um, because of the world that we live in. I, I, we've got a long way to go before we change this world. A very mm -hmm. long way to go and in that time we need to be able to defend ourselves in order right. to have our independence and we in the meantime you know we're trying to mm, educate society and not just men I mean all society needs to change in what we think is acceptable what we what we take is okay but while we're doing that we need to protect ourselves and I think just from a very young age explaining how you can keep safe and how you can use your own strength um, in different situations mm -hmm. um, is really important for women, for young girls in general. Right. Right. But I think it's also, I think it's not too late for an adult woman to learn that. Oh, definitely not. Stuff. Definitely not. But, it's the same with emotional intelligence that people right. say, oh, you should do that, own, you know, when you're children. Definitely. I mean, that's definitely when you should do it. But also when you're older, but you, I mean, you I can think, do it. Right. I mean, I think the thing is, is like you need somebody to teach you. Mm -hmm. And if if the person, the people who are raising you don't have those tools. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons we send children to school. 
mm-hmm. to learn the things that your parents can't teach you unless your parents want to homeschool you or don't have time to teach you. But mm-hmm. things like emotional intelligence, self-defense, um, negotiation skills, all the things that we actually need, mm-hmm. especially as if we want autonomous lives yeah, and not have to rely on the protection of somebody else or the support mm-hmm. of somebody else. It's nice to have it, but it's not something that we, I think it's a good idea to raise people to believe they should rely on. Because yeah. I think we've all been learning really quickly that these things, both on a micro level as well as a macro level, are not reliable and not stable and everything mm-hmm. can be taken away in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But you, so you came to Berlin recently to visit, which was fun. Thanks for coming. It was. I, 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 all, it. I finished all the chocolates you brought a while ago, but not <laughs> the Prosecco yet. Yes. Um, are, you, yes. are you waiting for me to come again? <laughs> yes. Um, one bottle for you, one bottle for me. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, but when you arrived, you I picked you up at the airport because it's so close to my house. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, because it was, you're the first person that I've talked to who, who has taken a flight during or just after the quarantine, mm-hmm. during this pandemic, and I asked you what the process was, was it difficult? And you said, well, the, secu- the airport security pulled me over and, and had a chat with me and asked to see my ID, et cetera, and where I'm from, but I figured it's because my skin is brown. Hmm. And you said this in this way that was like so sort of lightly tossed off, And that was so interesting to me because it was not in the sense of like, you know, oh, I just accept racism in the world, but in the sense of, um, it's just in the sense of, of it being again, outside my own realm of experience. You know, I have white skin and although I have also been pulled aside when I went to Bermuda once, um, I have no idea why, but the whole island seemed to know about it because it's a small oh. place. But okay. nonetheless, um, but it's not something that regularly happens to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I do enjoy, of course, a measure of white privilege. Yeah. So, so what, so what is that like? And how does that, um, not like, what is it like to have brown skin, which is a weird <laughs> question, but it's actually really beautiful. <laughs> it is very beautiful. What, how does that affect you? how you move in the world as well is that like compounded on top of being petite is it something separate are they separate issues for you or I mean I can't imagine you're really walking around separating the color of your skin from your your own body all the time being like oh no that was racism no that was sexism you know like I'm just gonna like put these in columns so I, I'm, I, you know, my skin color is brown. I'm a petite woman. I am a woman. So there's a lot of things that work against you generally in life, mm-hmm. in, in the society that we have uh, right. and that have been constructed for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason um, I think maybe I, I sort of said, oh yeah, it's because I'm brown is I travel a lot and I love the random checks and I call them random because they're not random it's just Mm -hmm. hilarious that um i get stopped up more often than i i see the other people around me and i think okay why why Mm -hmm. me and yeah because i believe it's because the random checks are done on a certain type of demographic um no matter how elegantly i'm dressed or how um casually or whatever where i'm coming from 
more often than not, I do get stopped. Um, the only time it annoys me to high hell is when the person is rude. Right. If the person has a an attitude that wants me to feel inferior. Mm-hmm. Whereas the guy in Germany was actually very polite and he struck up um, sort of general conversation as well, uh, right. which I which I I thought okay I. I'm okay with this because you're being, um, you're not being an asshole, basically. You know, you're, 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 you are following the rules that maybe is that this person uh, is in the demographic of the people that we need to, to I don't know, check mm-hmm. on. But he wasn't being an asshole about it. Where there are some people that have, I just find them very cold, very, mm, or, um, in Italy, um, Italy is a very right-wing country at its heart, mm-hmm. um, and the the openness of of people isn't as I expected when I first came over. So you you, you know you grow up in London and you're like, oh, London's this you know amazing place where I'm I'm accepted. I can work. I can do things. Mm-hmm. And you come over to Italy, and I think, God, everybody that works is white. Right. That's really interesting. And then my husband went over to the UK and saw a black police officer. He went, whoa, you guys have black police officers. And I was like, yeah, it's normal. Because it's the 21st century. But also... You don't get that. Yeah, but also... You said something interesting, though, to me when you were packing up to leave. You were saying (laughs) that you you find um, when you do dress elegantly that you have an easier process mm-hmm. through the airports when you land. Yeah, in general, in, in Italy, if you are dressed... Well, so I went to a shop, the, the same shop, dressed differently on different days. So mm-hmm. one day I was just, you know, really casual, hardly any... I don't think I had any makeup on. Walked mm-hmm. in and I was ignored by every single salesperson. And I was even sort of given looks as if to say, God, are you here to like steal, do... You know, like that whole kind of... Right. Mm, offhandish, I think is the word. It's really like mm. the next time that I went in dressed elegantly because um, I like think I was on my break from work. Walked in and it was a shoe shop, and I I just got treated very differently. I then decided not to spend my money in that shop because of that right, treatment. Right, 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 right. No, I'm I I can't I can't support this. But you see it in most places that. Or the, the students, when I was um, first teacher in Bologna, for example, they're like, oh, so you're English, but why is your skin brown? <laughs> because I went out in the sun for a really long time. <laughs> because the concept of immigration here is still very young. The concept of mm-hmm. somebody being able to have a life here, even though their ancestors are not Italian, is very very hard for them to understand, and the the prejudice that you get already within the Italian community of the north and the south is mm-hmm. really really crazy. So my husband's from Naples, and the type of racism, as they call it, of this prejudice that you get just because you're from the south is really strong. Right. So imagine if you're of color, or if you're a woman who's brown, who's really tiny as well. Right, right. 
Do you think, though, that, I mean, I think that it's probably um, exacerbated in some way, but I, I have a really similar experience. When I dress a certain way, I get treated very differently. So now, because I'm middle-aged, mm-hmm. um, if I kind of dress like a soccer mom, then, then I have the power of invisibility. And I'm generally treated like I'm an idiot um, and not very important. And very mm. easily, people very easily dismiss me. Um, maybe someone w- will be nice in that kind of condescending, like, oh, you're somebody's mom way. <laughs> but when I, when I dress elegantly, um, or when I dress kind of more powerfully. Yeah. When I take my sword with me. No, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I do that, then, yeah, then the reception is totally different. Mm. You know, it's kind of like you can sort of, you know, part the Red Sea just because you happen to put on a really nice dress. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is frustrating in many ways. I mean, we judge each other by our appearances. That's that's all Definitely. we have when we first see each other. Exactly. But at the same time, it's also a little like, but why, you know, it does raise those questions. Well, why is, you know, what you perceive as a soccer mom or... A woman of color who is just dressed casually, either automatically a criminal, or mm-hmm. in the case of a soccer mom who could be a criminal, yeah, but definitely. is immediately <laughs> so that's like the best. Oh, I should do that. That's like, the, <laughs> that's like a good crime outfit. Yeah, let's <laughs> crimes dressed as soccer moms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a gang of soccer moms. Like, oh no. Have you seen? Oh God, what is it on Netflix? Good Girls. No. Okay, I think you need to watch that because that's exactly the type of thing okay. that we're talking about. <laughs> um, the the yeah, I mean, but so why is a soccer? Why is a middle aged woman who is perceived as just you know like a mom not as important as someone yeah. who puts on a really nice dress? It's unfortunate that um, that we have this cloaks of invisibility as such in society and mm-hmm. in different situations different people are invisible right and it's 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 a really hard thing to to try and delve into and say okay so where does this come from and how mm-hmm. how do we combat it or do we combat it like how how does it how does it work in society what are the the ways that it can produce a functioning society or does it produce a functioning society? Does it contribute? Right. Is it conducive? Um, but I think the it's always that, that concept of don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. I think there's always that concept. And it's really difficult for us as humans to do that. And I'm one of the first people that sort of looks at it. Because I also do this weird thing where I love people watching but then I create their lives I'm like so you do this and then you do that and then oh but I think we all do I mean we all do it's that's part of the fun of people watching you know yeah definitely guess the life attached to this human being this random human being what with with things like emotions games which help us to get in touch with our emotions Mm -hmm. um and learn emotional intelligence how do you think that's applied to Two areas like self-defense and especially around racism. Yeah. You know, whether you are, I think in some ways, maybe it's a little bit obvious where emotional intelligence is necessary to combat racism within the racist Mm -hmm. 
is it something that's helpful for someone who is on the receiving end of racism? Yeah, I'm in general, this is the this is something that I saw. I think it was a Guardian or the Independent, one of those newspapers that did an article on the fact that the more a person has these right wing type of views that are um, that exclude people, the lower the level of their emotional intelligence. Mm. So people who are on the left spectrum of politics or general like socialism, etc., have a higher level of emotional intelligence because mm-hmm. mm, the the idea of having emotional intelligence is, is, is really understanding where your emotions are coming from and then processing those emotions. Whereas when you look at things like racism and other types of prejudice, it comes, I think, like from this blind hatred and nobody mm. understands where it comes from. Homophobic people, racist, all these kind of things. There's a, there's a, there's a type of um, an issue that hasn't been dealt with within yourself that then makes you want to take it out on different people. There's also the education that you sometimes get, the miseducation, that you have to hate these people even if you don't maybe have the same views as the same people. Emotional intelligence is actually one of the skills that allows you to relate to other people in a very healthy way, in a way that um, is more conducive to a um, community to to be able to create um, an acceptance of differences. Mm -hmm. So when you are faced with racism, for example, if we look at the... um, the situation of when I was stopped in Germany. You know, out of all the people that were on that airplane, I was the only one that was stopped. Now, I could have approached it in a very aggressive way and said, can you tell me why you're stopping me? Can you tell me what it is that you are looking for and only I was stopped? Or I could have had a very um, sort of aggressive communication with this person. However, in you know, in, in, in order to control my, uh, to be safe, one, and to be able to control my communication so that it was, um, let's say, it was effective. In that moment, I say, yeah, you feel wrong, possibly that this, you're being stopped more than likely <laughs> because you're brown. But I managed to engage in a very healthy conversation with this person, whereas if I let that thing take over, I think in certain situations it can turn into a into a unnecessarily inefficient communication. So that doesn't mean you have to accept everything and just say, okay, it's it's also learning to know when it's okay to Yeah, that was gonna be my question. Like I mean, yeah. is is it learning when it's time to 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 stand up and say, you know, this isn't right. Why are you stopping me or whatever it is? Yeah. As opposed to other times when, you know, it is it is to your benefit to look mm-hmm. for that more constructive communication. Yeah. And how do you make Definitely. those how do you make those decisions and and how do you gauge when the time is right for you or for you know, as with what we're going through in the moment 
globally and more specifically in my home country of America, um, yeah. when it's not only the time is right for you, but also for society in general. Exactly. And by right, I mean overdue. Yeah, way overdue. And yeah, it, the, I think the more um, we train our emotional intelligence and we put it out there, that it's really important. The empathy, um, understanding that, you know, emotions don't define us. They are things that come and they go. And right. when we process them, can really help people who feel this hatred towards things that are different. Because fear and hatred of the unknown, of things that we don't know, really take us over if we're not emotionally intelligent. Oh my mm-hmm. God, you know, I have to hate that person or I have to really push that away because I don't know it. Um, right. And you, you, there are some times where I, I do put my foot down, even in my business meetings that I have and say, listen, I know I'm a woman, but this is not okay. Right, right. And there are other times where I think, you know, it's not the right moment, but I've, I've gotten like that because I've also trained my emotional intelligence. It doesn't mean I always get it right. There is no such thing as, you know, being perfect. And sometimes like, oh, okay, maybe I was a bit too much in this situation, but I did what I felt. Um, and, you know, you try to, to create those healthy and safe types of situations of communication. Um, so my internet connection is, is breaking up. Oh dear. And although all of what you just said was recorded and will be a clear recording, I, when I'm talking to you, I can't actually hear you anymore, so okay. I have to read the transcript. Okay. Um, but then I think this is a great way. This is actually a really good place to kind of wrap ourselves up. Oh, yeah. Um, is there any last thing that you want to say or get in before we... I think that's it. Okay. Good. Wait, I it's have to look good here. Talking. Can you hear me? Uh, I can't actually. I can't, so you're you basically just sound like a lot of static. Oh you my. sound like the teachers on the Peanuts cartoon. <laughs> oh dear. So I'm no, watching. I'm think, watching uh, think, the transcript. I don't think there's anything else that I need to add. But um, it was interesting. It was really, really, really interesting to to talk about these experiences. So thanks. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being so open um, and talking about this stuff. It's so great to get a different perspective, like literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, sorry, there is one thing I wanted to add um, because you, you spoke about, you, you mentioned that, you know, you're not, all, it's not like, oh, you go around thinking, oh, I'm a person in brown skin. And it's so true because I go around the world just being me. Like, I'm Ritz and this is me. But I had had a photo taken uh, once um, at work uh, after we went to a charity event. It was like, you know, and everybody's there in their black tie. And I looked at the photo and I was like, oh, my God, I'm brown. (laughs) Suddenly in my head, I was like, I stick out. (laughs) Was that that good or bad or was it... Did it just feel like, did you just suddenly feel very disconnected? I didn't at all. I just felt that I live so in, in my own skin and I don't really notice what color it is because I'm so comfortable with it. But when it's shown on a picture, you're like, ah, that's interesting. Like I am a different color, but that has no effect on me. But maybe to the outside world, they look at it and and they Mm. see different things. But um, yeah, that was really funny.
Yeah, that's strange. I think for me, I've been in the position, not always with the color of my skin, but for whatever reason, where I kind of look at the people around me in a, from a photo or whatever it is, and, and I have that moment of like, oh, I'm, I'm different from these people, where you sort of think like you have that moment of, of thinking, oh, this whole time I thought I was one of them, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> but on another yeah. level you are, but there's another part where you're kind of like, yeah, but, but you're also not in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I think you'll have to join me in person today, again soon because that Prosecco is not going to drink itself. <laughs> I hope not, not too bottled. I started this episode saying that I suspect it's a lack of emotional intelligence that brought us to this moment in time. The politics, the climate, the pandemic. What I learned from Ritz, who is a practicing Hindu, is that emotional intelligence extends to all life on this planet. A lack of emotional intelligence contributes to toxic capitalism, to climate abuse, and of course to trading in and eating exotic animals, such as bats and acting as though we're not all connected as one. You can play Emotions Games with Ritz for free every Sunday on Facebook, hosted by Emotion Games partners Bridges of Light. Just search for Bridges of Light on FB, sign up, and have fun. You should also know that Ritz and me and our third colleague, Yasmin Garin of Negotiatrice, are working together as YRS Empowerment. You can follow us on Instagram to learn more at at YRS underscore empowerment. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Pollock, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.